Welcome back to Trending in Education. Brandon Jones, Mike Palmer, and myself, Dan Strafford. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about media trends to watch for in 2019. Plenty to dive into there. Uh, Brandon, I don't want to get you too excited, but we have some lists to go through today. Yeah, we do. How are you doing, sir? Well, you don't want to get me too excited, but you've gone and done it, Dan. I am too excited. Uh, to, I'm, I'm too hot to pod. Um, no, I'm, I'm excited. And the thing, the thing is interesting. We're talking about media trends. We are a media outlet. I mean, we're an education company that we work for, but like this is a media effort that we're doing right here on this very podcast. And in fact, one of the media trends mm. to talk about this year is about podcasts. So it's, um, mm-hmm. it's media imitating trends. Uh, I've, it's, 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 all, it's all coming together. Marshall McLuhan would be very pleased. Oh, absolutely. Mike, you're doing well, I hope. I hope so too. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely am. And uh, yeah, like, like along similar lines, uh, I, I'm, one of the reasons why we're doing this show is because the uh, teacher trends to watch show really did perform. Uh, so, so it is interesting for us to try to get out ahead of the year and uh, try to give folks our take on what we see coming down the pike. And then uh, sort of building on Brandon's point, the fact that we're looking both at the learning and education space, but also at the media and advertising space. Um, I think that's an interesting uh, dual threat uh, to, to explore both of those things, because I don't know how many folks are, are really looking at both together. Uh, and I think there's in, some interesting interrelationships. So like, even as we talk about media trends, trying to understand uh, what does that mean uh, for learners? What does that mean for educators? Uh, I think is an interesting angle as well. Yeah, I think we'll take that angle also in this one. But I think if you like that, speaking mm. of trending, mm. I think we're going to keep doing this for a couple of shows in a row, right? <laughs> so true. I think there's going to be next Tuesday at the same time, another pod that hits your feed. Yes. That's specifically talking about education and learning. Correct. So if you, li- if you don't like these, still tune in. Yeah. Um, but if you do, uh, bully for you because right. there's more more coming your way. And then I think we are going to do our own bespoke trends. Correct. Um, you our, you our, be spoken the I truth. I be spoken. Um, a uh, our home cooked up uh, trends. Yeah. And the good news is we're going to be doing. I think those will probably release in uh, like late February. Late Feb, early Mar. March Madness. And oh, well, it looks it looks like I'm going to be triggered. This is exciting. <laughs> but. Um, the good news is we can probably talk about things that have already happened yes, yes. such that will be proven right. Like, for example, one of my predictions is a really boring Super Bowl. Oh, it's too soon. That Super Bowl was amazing. We're going to talk about the things that happen in between the plays, but yes, uh, the yes. in between the lines, I guess, uh, yeah. uh, content was only so-so. Yeah, can we just give this an advantage, the timing of early February to, have, to kick off your media trends when you're talking about the media trends around the Super Bowl? Because that's frequently... Uh, among the biggest media events of the year. That's right. Uh, and then another media event uh, that's coming on the horizon is uh, the next season of Game of Thrones, for example. Sure is. So, uh, so lots, of, lots of avenues uh, around edutainment, uh, learn attainment, uh, whatever you want to call it. Okay, we won't call it that. Uh, Dan, please uh, get get this get this uh, get this party started. Well, I think it's also interesting. Already this year, we talked about Bandersnatch and interactive media. Mm. Uh, we have talked a lot about social media already this year. We talked about it last week uh, uh, about uh, the implications for Gen Z and for social emotional learning, and a topic we need to dive into as well. Axios has uh, a, a media watch. Uh, site that they sort of update regularly and uh, we caught it this week and it has uh, a discussion here around Facebook 
and a couple of changes happening there. It does have some mentions uh, around uh, Super Bowl viewership uh, the, and the podcasting. Hot Potato is what they're talking about, the uh, advertising therein uh, as they talk about where the money's going. Uh, Mike, where do you want to start? Uh, near and dear to our hearts, Spotify uh, making a bid for Gimlet. Uh, yeah. Podcasting media is a huge story, obviously. Uh, the Super Bowl, another one. Where, where do you want to start uh, off this Axios article? Yeah, I, I might want to start with the uh, the podcasting uh, acquisition because it looks like, uh, you know, at the time of this article, it was still up in the air. I, th- I think the deal is not officially closed, but it is public now. Like, so I, I saw it. Uh, so assuming that that deal closes, uh, Spotify is acquiring Gimlet. Um, <laughs> in the article, they talk about how Spotify is ingesting Gimlet. And I was wondering if if it ingested too much gimlet, would uh, <laughs> would it start slurring? Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, but I, but I thought that was really interesting, particularly around the valuation, which is going to be uh, north of or above uh, two hundred million dollars uh, uh, in terms of the valuation of gimlet, which is really a content play around uh, podcasting, and. Um, you know, for those those of us who follow Gimlet and have followed the startup podcast on Gimlet, where uh, the founder talks about how he found a Gimlet, so again, it gets very recursive. Uh, the initial valuations were were close to zero, and uh, it's kind of amazing to see over the last three or four years uh, the trajectory of Gimlet, and uh, and it's an interesting uh, story to to be told about. Um, how podcasting, despite the fact that it's, uh, you know, 12, 13 years in uh, as a media format, still seems to be growing. And, uh, and it does look like, you know, the Spotify acquisition, among other things, are signaling that um, in some ways it's becoming mainstream audio. Uh, and that's really interesting when you think about um, the range of folks who do podcasting and uh, sort of the somewhat egalitarian nature of the of the format too so like anybody with uh with a microphone and some basic digital competence uh can uh yeah dan has this is no this is a very difficult (laughs) medium to get into it takes a ton of technical acumen and uh like real insight that's right brandon that's right scripting is a heavily scripted show yeah. this is where the part i read from yes. the script that this is a heavily scripted show precisely so i don't know what you're talking about mike <laughs> but um but it's it is fun that it's participatory uh democratized but then also some of these bigger players are now starting to notice it and starting to sort of stake a claim on it um you know again bringing it back to home around learning uh haven't really seen the learning connection to audio grow as fast as I would expect. So a little teaser for where some of my predictions may be going. Um, I, am, I am interested in that where I do think like, you know, a lot of um, cons- media consumption patterns begin with entertainment and then evolve into other contexts, learning in particular being one of them. Um, I think there's a lot to, to sort of unpack around this acquisition in particular. And there's some other, uh, you know, interesting metrics around, uh, you know, which, uh, which formats are, are really growing uh, versus which ones are flat or in decline. And podcasting, while still small, is seeing some of the most significant uh, growth. And, it, and like I said, we're, I think it start, podcasting started in the early 2000s, you know, 12, 13 years in, and we're still keep on hearing about that, that inflection point. Um, it may in fact be coming. And then uh, what's the world going to be like on the other side? Uh, particularly when you think about the relationship between 
audio formats as an antidote to screen addiction, uh, which is something we've talked about uh, on a number of different shows. So, uh, so that, uh, that one uh, definitely resonated with me and was sort of the first one that I wanted to, to call attention to. I think it's, it's interesting on, on that one, the, um, just the thing that's in this Axios article about the growth is specifically around U.S. ad revenue mm-hmm. by different uh, media. Mm-hmm. So where podcast, this is over a four-year time period, I guess five years, 2018 to 2022, podcasting is expected to grow by 100%, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. But it's still only to $747 million. Right. So, um, I, I wonder if Spotify has seen these projections <laughs> since uh, $200 million. Uh, it's, I don't know how long that's going to go. Um, but put that in the context of, of internet, mm-hmm. which is ex- also expected to grow by 28%, mm-hmm. um, is at $127 billion with a B dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cool little uh, bar chart for those of you. Like, there's like this little scintilla which is signaling how minuscule and tiny podcast is, yeah. but it's growing. It's growing, yeah. Uh, and then, and then, interestingly, related point uh, around Spotify. Uh, I just saw a press release about from their uh, their CEO uh, about uh, the expectation that uh, non music audio is going to represent twenty uh, percent. Uh, his his expectation is that the, over time that'll represent twenty percent of the content produced by Spotify. Um, I think that's an interesting yeah, that uh, is. trend as well. Uh, also because um, more like the non-musical content, um, I think it's generated in a very different way than musical content. It's less about the artists. It's more about the, uh, you know, sort of the user generated producers who are sort of pumping the content out. Um, that'll be interesting to, to watch and those, see how those consumption numbers uh, pan out. What I'm intrigued by here, and, and I don't want to stay too long on this, there's lots to talk about in this article and across media, obviously, but um, this is about creating content, right? So Gimlet very much is a content creation hub. It's a production house. Um, and you look at a Spotify, you also see SiriusXM uh, got Pandora in a merger, uh, which is an intriguing one. But does this really speak, Brandon, to the idea that these networks are realizing the acquisition cost of content is still going to go up and creating their own content is going to be key. I think of Netflix here with all the Netflix original shows and them seeing that Disney's making their own streaming network, that uh, Time Warner and Comcast are all going to be doing their own thing. Uh, Is this really a media message that these places are seeing? Well, we're going to have to create our own somehow. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think that um even though we're talking about different media and different uh, industries, I think that those two things are analogous. I think that Netflix bringing in house so much of its content development um, is not that dissimilar from Spotify acquiring a big um, podcast network. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been, and this is reductive, but I like saying reductive things. Um, I've just, I think I've been realizing like everything is content, right? Like it's all content. And like, if you have better content, mm-hmm. uh, more people are going to be uh, staying in your space that you commercialize through whether it's ad revenue or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And content is expensive uh, to produce. And so um, I think that, you know, producing audio versus producing video, for example, production of audio is a lot less expensive um, also, uh, you know, the, the type of artists that 
um, you acquire artists or personalities or hosts or whatever you want to call them mm -hmm. um, is a little different when you acquire a, a podcast uh, outfit than, um, you know, signing on more artists uh, who are musicians. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that's right on, Dan. And, um, and I think that we're going to be more and more aware of just content shops and thinking how like this, what we're doing right now is producing content. Like mm -hmm. this is all, right. it's all content play and like the containers may change, but what really people find value in is the content. I think that's, that's, uh, that's going to be interesting and it's going to be con continue to be more prevalent. And, and it's also interesting that it's sort of counter to uh, the trope around content being, content's a commodity. Anybody can do content. And uh, it's more that doing, compelling enough content to really capture enough of an audience to be able to, to monetize and uh, do all the things that, uh, that big content players like Netflix and Spotify want to do um, is actually quite difficult, but it's, it's, it's by no means commoditized, you know, like it, it's actually uh, challenging to be creative. It's challenging to, to really earn more listenership. Um, and then interestingly, your, your point about costs is also, tying back to uh, that the, the, the fact that Gimlet also is doing uh, television production. So Homecoming, which was on, produced on Amazon Prime, was actually a Gimlet uh, production uh, that began as scripted narrative fiction as audio. And then uh, that performed well enough that, uh, and it was cheap enough to produce at a high enough quality level that then uh, it was picked up to, to produce as a, as a, as a TV series uh, featuring Julia Roberts. Um, I think we're gonna see more and more of that. And I'm sure that's part of what drove this, uh, this relatively big valuation for uh, what was initially a relatively small um, podcasting startup. It's a, a big story to track, just all this media creation. I think also corporations are starting to create serial shows to track you know, narratives they want to be on top of. So to Brandon's point, to Mike's point, just content being created everywhere. Uh, the Super Bowl, uh, you already mentioned, Mike, is a, a large piece of content, one of the biggest media attractions each year, uh, one of the highest rated, if not the highest rated primetime event each and every year. But ratings down this year, uh, but each and every year, we get commercials that we get to discuss, which are in and of themselves, these media pieces. Uh, overall impressions, maybe not of the game, but Mike, the spectacle of the Super Bowl, of the media of it all from your vantage point and any commercials that stood out to you uh, to be discussed here? Yeah, I mean, a, a couple different things. I mean, first off, uh, I did find the Super Bowl to be really boring. It was amazing, though. Great but, outcome. For Patriots fans, I'm sure it was less so. But um, I, I, it was... Also interesting for me, this is the first year, uh, maybe it was just the nature of where I watched, but like it was the first year where the commercials were less front and center to me in terms of my viewing experience. And, and I think that's contrary to, to really, it was almost like when it was must-see viewing, the commercials, uh, particularly at some of the places where I'd watched Super Bowls in the past, the commercials became almost as exciting as uh, the content of the game, uh, perhaps more so when the game's boring. This year, um, I was less struck by uh, any real like, wow, that commercial kind of blew my mind. Aside from the Game of Thrones, uh, the, the, the mashup between Bud Light and Game of Thrones. That <laughs> was unexpected. That was unexpected. Yeah. And, uh, and then after the fact, it made a ton of sense. If you think about that whole Dilly Dilly campaign, it's not too dissimilar from Game of Thrones. Sure. And then the fact that they deserve to be immolated. Exactly. And, and that, <laughs> That's where I was going. Yeah. Came in 
and blew them up. I, I thought I thought was pretty uh, pretty amazing. Uh, I also thought some of the retro stuff uh, was interesting. The and Andy Warhol what um, was interesting. I feel like we should be uh, re-releasing some of our uh, dated uh, Kaplan commercials from the the seventies and eighties because uh, retro is in. Sure. Um, you know, even seeing the the dude and the 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 most interesting man and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, all in that Stella Artois ad. Those are the ones that I thought um, uh, caught my uh, my interest. Um, I'm not sure how imaginative or creative they are, though. It does feel like things are somewhat formulaic. It's almost like we have Game of Thrones, we have Bud Light. They're both kind of medieval. Hey, I got an idea. How about the dragon burns the thing? I up? thought that was I thought that was pretty good actually. So I I, I think it's good, but like it's it's also like you can almost just do mashups now. And then like, oh, and I got another crazy idea. How about we put the dude next to Sarah Jessica Parker and then at the end, the, you know, they're all kind of like mixing up formats around like adjacencies that are, are somewhat surprising. Uh, and, then, and then the prevalence of robot, dystopic robot treatments. I know you had- That's, uh, that's where I You had a lot on that. You, you, want, you want to talk? I can't believe we're talking about anything other than yeah, that. Yeah, please. Yeah, but just as, as a just quick intro, like I think this is- it is important to, or it's an opportunity to see what people, um, what brands value and not, I don't just mean from like brand values, although that's a thing to talk about too, maybe, but um, in terms of value that it's, it's, I think something a little over $5 million for a 30 second ad mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to run an ad, it's going to be expensive. So like you better make it, about as good as it can be, whether that's in terms of clever or product demonstration or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is. Like this is this is their their best work. Yeah, um, for sure. And the best work featured a lot of robots. Oh my god! I loved the robots. I was so it was it was hot for bots. I loved it so bad. Um, so there was uh, and and there was a lot of dy dystopic. Oh you're my right. God. Um, uh, uh, robots uh, impression making there. So um, it started with RoboChild. Mm -hmm. I was texting the two of you. Yeah, like, we were like, we got no. Spo idea. Spoiler alert! Like this, this is what I I do with with uh, with my friends here on the pod is I'm like texting them whenever I see robots. And so, both pre Super Bowl, that yeah. was also the only time Coca Cola got in, which is interesting. Mm. But right before the Coca Cola ad. Mm. Um, about embracing diversity was hashtag RoboChild, which I think was TurboTax. Or it, it, yeah, Intuit, TurboTax. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure what like if if you're taking the RoboChild as a deductible, if like RoboChild is file, helping you file your taxes. Yeah. I, like I missed it, but I yeah. There that RoboChild was definitely in the uncanny valley. Oh it my had, god! It had a face that was intended to make it look like a, like a like a sort of petulant child. Yeah. Uh, despite having a robot body, so right. that was that was big. Um, there was the Amazon uh, Echo uh, Alexa. Um, all of the uh, could have been fails, which was uh, um, interesting. There was the Simply Safe, I think. Simply Safe tried to make us feel better, and in fact, uh, just by showing like robots taking our jobs and everybody is listening, and then their product is a thing that's always listening. Like what what's going on with that? Um, but it definitely was. It felt like um, I went to this. Going to be I'm going to meander to this point, but uh, I went to a the modern museum of art in stockholm which is called moderna musite okay and they have different um 
periods from like the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. And it almost felt like from the 1940s, this is what they were thinking the future would look like mm -hmm. with all of these robots like everywhere. And this, this still, we don't have this, but like right. as if, if we lived in this time, we are finally like getting to fulfill the past vision of the future. Right. It was very, it was, it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, I felt great. I think that like others looked at it and they're like, uh, oh, these robots are taking over. I couldn't, I couldn't have been happier. Right. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, not to mention the, 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 the Patriots were, were performing as expected. I couldn't be happier about that either. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But yeah, so many, so many robots. And I do think it is sort of like a, it's a flash flashpoint in terms of the collective consciousness or the zeitgeist, as I like to put it. Zeitgeisty. It's very zeitgeisty. So that like you're seeing what the, the best agencies are putting together in terms of their creative. And for them all to be hitting on this this sort of broader theme uh, or themes around um, sort of distrust of the the robot uh, overlords who are who are nigh upon us and uh, and then um, you know sort of that interest in retro and uh, you know some of those other themes I think are really interesting although it's frequently it's better to do it after the Super Bowl because depending on how you consume the Super Bowl it's tough to be overly uh, you know, media critic when you're, you're having some brisket or buffalo wings and a couple of brewskis with your friends. You're not like... No corn syrup in those. Brisket, so. <laughs> oh my God. But it depends on, who, I guess, who your friends are too. Uh, <laughs> but um, what about other trends? What else, what else is in... Uh, what, what else do we think media-wise? Well, I, I thought it was an interesting... On the Axios and also during the Super Bowl, you had the Washington Post ad uh, about media, about, uh, you know, quote unquote, hashtag fake media and the trust of newspapers. And in this Axio article, you do have a point about New York Times uh, free subscriptions uh, with students. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's an intriguing uh, point now. And you hear from plenty of people, newspapers are dying. Journalism, quote unquote, is dying. But maybe it's the way we're consuming it and the way that it's distributed uh, that is changing. And I think that's something we've touched on here before. So an interesting point from Axios about the, the free subscriptions. And uh, Mike, I wonder from your perspective, one, it's great to see I'm, I'm a big journalism fan. I was a journalism student. Obviously, I, I believe uh, very much in it. Um, read the Times, read the Washington Post, read local papers. Uh, but it's an interesting play, not only from a, hey, let's share information, but the Times sharing with the future potential paid subscribers here. So mm -hmm. a media play from a media company to get them in on the ground floor, sort of set them up with an account. And maybe once they graduate, say, hey, now for $3.99 a month, you can get the same access. Uh, an interesting point here from Axios about that free uh, access to the New York Times. The thing I, I thought, sorry, just to jump in Please. on that, that I think was, was really interesting. I, I wasn't aware of this until I read that article was um, the, those 3 million free accounts have been paid for by donors. Mm. So like it's, a, it's actually the, the Times play was through this sponsor a student subscription um, donation opportunity. They got 30,000 donations. There was one that was a million dollars, but the average donation was 50 bucks. And mm -hmm. so I think that's an interesting trend too, right? So these are presumably adults. Like I would say the, I think it's a fair assumption to make like the, the, these are subscribers mm -hmm. who are exposed to this and they are paying it forward. They're saying like, it is not only valuable for me to consume the New York times, uh, but it's valuable for me to pay for a student to consume the New York Times. Mm -hmm. I thought that was, that's an interesting, um, 
you know, it's a trend. It's an interesting moment, an interesting experience, an interesting proof point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just like there's no such thing as a free lunch, uh, there's no such thing as a free subscription to the New York Times. Like it's actually somebody's paying for it. And uh, it is interesting to, I was thinking about the pay it forward aspect uh, the the same way. Like I'm a regular listener to uh, their their daily podcast and increasingly they are talking about if you like what you're hearing the best way for you to help us is to uh to get a subscription and then uh interestingly uh it almost seems like some of these things are evolving towards almost like a a public television uh you know phone drive kind of dynamic where like um i actually think when you think about the costs uh you know your point about a million dollar donation here you know you could really make a profound impact in tens of thousands, thousands of kids, you know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, you know, it is interesting as we think about, uh, you know, the, the, the income distribution, which is something that a lot of people talk about the 1% and all that, and the philanthropy that's coming from the Gateses and the, the Zucks and so forth. Um, it is interesting to think about how some of those can almost bridge into uh, partnerships with for-profit uh, organizations or journalistic endeavors. Uh, I think that is really interesting. And it, it also is a reminder of how um, you got to be really creative in media now just to stay afloat. Like the New York Times, to their credit, appears to be staying afloat, but my God, they really have to work at it. Absolutely. And, uh, this is a great example of the type of good work that they're doing. Well, I think, so it's intriguing to me, the learning and education aspect of it, right? So civics and and world news, and obviously there are other pieces, the the sports page, all the things that come with the times has an educational value to it and staying up to date. Also, I don't know if you saw, Mike, uh, the the times is uh, increasing uh, their media output in that they're going to start doing a show called The Weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go along with the daily, which is going to be a television show. Mm-hmm. So sort of full circle here from our beginning conversation about media companies and, and creation of content and media going out. But it's intriguing to me that the times to your point is creating all these different touch points, all these different ways to get media to, to people both free and charged in some way, shape or form. It, is that the viable way forward? It's just simply, being omni-channel, understanding that there are just so many different ways for people to consume things today between YouTube and Facebook and let's go to Snapchat and Instagram, but then also the hard, you know, hard paper that you can hold in your hands. Is it just simply these brands, these media outlets are, are going to have to be everywhere that people consume? Maybe. Uh, I think it depends on your revenue model and how much it costs to get there. Um, but, um, but it is... I think you're going to have to be more creative and you're going to have to um, also align with a mission, uh, which is another interesting theme. If you think about um, some of these trends, it's also why I think Facebook, you know, a couple of the trends that we're looking at in the Axios article, at least are about Facebook. Facebook's really struggling because their mission is really in question. And a lot of uh, the news and the publicity that they've been getting uh, is signaling that, despite, you know, wanting to connect everybody and let everybody uh, share, um, there's a lot more, you know, that their uh, public message of what their mission is and what they're actually looking to do to sort of stay afloat from a revenue perspective are are at times in conflict with one another. And increasingly, um, markets and audiences are becoming really sophisticated. And, uh, and even in the ads, you know, it's, it's, 
um, sort of my blase uh, discontent at the commercials is an indication of of how uh, it's really tough to, to engage a contemporary audience in 2019. And it's gonna require you know, more alignment to mission, more creativity, and more use of surprise. Um, and then lastly, maybe that, that mashup idea, um, which is where in some ways I think we do that a bit on, when, we, when we're in our zone, I think we do that pretty well here where like we're, a, we're covering surprising topics for an education podcast. And like when people can make connections across domains, in surprising ways. I think frequently that's the type of creative that does resonate. Um, so, uh, so yeah, share us with your friends. And uh, a future guest on the show will be Kate uh, Wiswell, who is uh, the author of Full Frontal Nerdity, who does a lot of this in her book and on her blog about connecting sort of disparate topics, but bringing them together and explaining uh, different things. So look forward to talking to her in the future uh, here on Trending in Education. Mike, any, any media trends or things from this Axios article or other uh, places along the web you want to touch on before we say so long for this episode? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I'm curious uh, more as, uh, as, as sports fans and, and viewers. Uh, the, one, the one thing that I think is interesting is how uh, the viewing experience is becoming more fractured, which makes it harder to advertise in one place to your previous point, Dan, where like used to be the return on that TV spot made sense. But now when people are, are viewing on their phones or they're, they're sort of catching up uh, in, in the many different ways that we can access content these days, uh, the traditional model of everybody watching the same TV ads at the same time uh, and that being a buzz uh, does feel like that may be entering into a, a trough of, uh, of disillusionment. So, uh, so I think the fractured nature of, uh, of must-see TV uh, these days is an interesting trend to watch. As we move forward, we'll be intriguing to see how many uh, brands make non-Super Bowl ads, putting them out just before the Super Bowl, trying to get the, the same coverage that the Super Bowl ads themselves do. Brandon, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I will say I feel like I was baited and switched upon because I was told there would be lists. And we, we sort of like talked through the six, the seven things in that Axios list. There's a whole other Forbes article that I think we shared around that I mean, we can put out as well, Dan, but um, where there were 14 trends. Oh, my like, God. Man, I just imagined when I was told that there was going to be lists that I would get to read them. I won't. But I, I think a thing that is, is interesting, I mean, my closing thought on this um, Ad revenue is increasing tremendously. And for like the big players, it's increasing by, you know, the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons of the world by 20, 30, 90%. Um, and uh, our, as consumers, we're becoming either more discerning or more dissatisfied or both. Mm -hmm. And so there's like this interesting, there's a couple of interesting trends that are baked into that. One is like, there's just a lot more uh, there are, are more platforms that we are on, free platforms that we are on as consumers, mm -hmm. where more and more ads are going to be served up to us. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you think like Google is often giving more and more of what used to be an organic search result, uh, real estate up to paid ads. Mm -hmm. um, it's on like basically every site that you're not going behind the paywall for. There's more and more real estate coming to ads. There's more money coming into those companies and so they're going to continue to probably give more real estate to ads. And yet we like those ads less every year. Right. So um, I think that there's an opportunity. It comes back to content, which is the point we were talking about earlier, like creating really great content and engaging 
you know, uh, segmenting your art or your audience so you can deliver the right content to the right people, personalizing that and in, in bringing your customers into content creation, going through influ influencers in a really authentic way. Um, I think that brands are going to have to do that for us to just be able to like make it through all of the bad stuff that's out there. There's got to be some advertising that doesn't feel Mm -hmm. uh, invasive, intrusive, off tone, tonally deaf. Mm -hmm. Um, we're, we're going to have to find ways as consumers because consumers, we want to consume, right? Like we actually do want that advertising. We just don't want it to be delivered to us when, when we don't want it, where we don't want it or in a way that we don't like. Yeah. Um, but like we want to get awesome stuff and we don't mind paying for stuff sometimes. Yeah. Right. So like there's a, there's an interesting confluence of things that are happening there and, mm -hmm. and, uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's going to shake out, but I, I think that's a thing to be thinking about maybe even in a prediction episode uh, mm. to come. Yeah. Even blurring the lines between advertising and content. But, Remember you talked about stealth learning, you know, it's the same idea. You almost need to be so clever that people don't even realize they were just advertised to. Yeah. And it's really hard because I think like what's really bad is when you're like almost clever enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And so people are like, this is an advertiser trying to advertise me to me without me knowing. It. Right. Um, it's like when there's, when there's really yes. poorly done um, brand placement in mm -hmm. movies, mm -hmm. you're like, oh, okay. So I guess this is brought to you by mini, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. uh, because they keep on showing a close up of the steering wheel. Like right, right. It, so there you have to, it's, it's hard. Um, and, uh, you know, to all those trying it, I salute your efforts. Keep doing better. Um, as a consumer, I want awesome stuff. Uh, so, uh, so bring it to me. Yeah, it is intriguing to see uh, on YouTube, especially as they are doing more inline videos that aren't advertisements or sort of clips from uh, brands that are paying for their clips to be put in front of like videos. Uh, so will we see more and more of that to Brandon's point? And will that just further the algorithm and understanding of who we are and what we want specifically to consume in front of video content as we move forward? Lots of other content here uh, that we're not going to get to. Maybe we'll get Brandon just to record lists separately and we can release those as their own podcast episodes. Uh, he's in. I know he's I'm in. definitely he's, in. He's ready to do that. We'll figure that out for a future episode or maybe a whole series of Brandon Reads a List. Dan Straffer, Mike Palmer back here on Trending in Education. Since we recorded that episode, a big media story has broken. Jeff Bezos, of course, of Amazon going to Medium uh, to accuse the publisher of National Enquirer around an extortion try uh, using pictures of him uh, in an email chain to try to get uh, some information and perhaps uh, him uh, giving in to some of their demands. Now, there's a lot of salacious details here, Mike, uh, that can go a variety of different ways, but the media aspect of it, uh, the, the variety of ways this all ties together, we thought was very interesting. Uh, High-level take from you, uh, lots of pieces to talk about, but what do you think is most, most interesting about it? Yeah, uh, I mean, quite a, quite a few things, uh, some of which are probably not appropriate for, for this podcast, uh, although it is funny that uh, David Pecker is involved and that uh, I believe uh, the euphemism of uh, below the belt selfie, below the waist selfies, uh, which is uh, another thing that uh, did appear in Jeff Bezos' uh, Medium post. Yep. Um, I think those things are all fascinating. I was very excited. I was going to call it Peckergate. Uh, I thought I came up with a great idea. This was about 12 to 14 hours after the news broke. I went to the internet and realized the internet had beaten me to the punch. Uh, the internet I, always wins. Oh my God. And that's another, uh, another data point around, around media and like what's happening in the world today. Um, 
I thought it was really uh, illuminating to me, at least, that um, old media in some ways was going after new media in that, uh, you know, the tabloid media and in the, in the, 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 the National Enquirer going after Bezos, who really made his, made his, uh, his mark really uh, with Amazon, but then also really just more as someone who's on the, the cutting edge of, of technology. Uh, I thought it was really interesting that he uh, pursued his response uh, on Medium, the platform. Uh, also, Medium is the singular uh, of media. So it was interesting that he chose, uh, chose to go to Medium, uh, which is kind of a long form version of Twitter. Um, and uh, I thought his post was extremely well written. And uh, in some ways, it was a way for him to sort of reclaim ownership of, right. uh, of the narrative. Um, so I thought from a, a spin control and from a leveraging of, uh, of media that are available to you, I thought it was really uh, informative, uh, perhaps instructive around uh, which platforms are available for us. Uh, we've talked uh, at times about uh, the level to which uh, uh, President Trump uses Twitter um, to sort of grab control of the narrative. It did seem like Bezos did something very similarly uh, with his Medium post. And then I found it really interesting that uh, the New York Times, even the Washington Post, were then uh, citing Bezos's Medium post as sort of the, the post of record. So uh, the reporting was really on something that Bezos really sees control over. And uh, I think we'll continue to see that as yep. a trend where like, especially among personalities who are so big, that uh, they really want to get the get the middlemen, middlewomen out of the way, right? And uh, really, just at least claim the perception of a direct line of communication with uh, with everybody, um, and then as a as a sort of means to sort of get out from under uh, what may or may not have been uh, the extortionate practices of uh, of Pecker and Squad. Uh, I thought that uh, there was a lot going on here, and if we're doing a show on media right. trends. We well, should at least give it a little air. You, know? you make a great point about uh, owning the narrative, too, about the information here. You see uh, things like the Player Tribune. Yes, I bring a lot of things back to sports, but the, uh, the Player Tribune is somewhere where athletes author their own articles, where mm -hmm. they write their own stories. And I think we're going to see more and more of that, where you have these mediums that are direct to, but not as direct as Twitter is, right? So still a layer of you need to go somewhere and read, but you get to read directly from me or mm -hmm. hear directly from me. I did find also intriguing, and, and maybe this can be the last point, that uh, National Enquirer operates on AWS servers. Um, <laughs> so it's a, just an interesting, again, media flow, information flow. If Bezos wanted to, right, if he decided there's a switch, I'm sure he can flip somewhere to make those servers go down. Right. And so the, the intricacies of the relationships here between old media and new media, how these different powerful people and powerful companies interact um, and the sort of underlying handshakes that happen as well, uh, all on the media landscape, I think is really a fascinating story to track and well worth catching up here on, on media, uh, on our media podcast. Any, anything you're looking forward to as a resolution here? I know they've denied and there's more media to happen. Anything you're, you're looking forward to, to hearing about? I mean, I, I find the story fascinating, so I'm definitely going to continue to track it. In fact, I was a little disappointed when I saw it did tie back to um, some of the scandals with, uh, with the Mueller investigation and the, the Southern District of New York, because I, I thought just more, it w when it was purely a media take without a political angle to it, uh, I thought it was a little more interesting, frankly, and now it's getting pulled into all the scandals that, uh, that we're spending a lot of time talking about. 
the, the last point that I think is really interesting is the implications for the future of journalism. Uh, and, uh, you know, where are we today and where will journalism be in the next, say, five to 10 years? Because there are all these new tools that are emerging that allow uh, folks to kind of uh, bypass reporting uh, and then also treat their own um, opinion posts as news. So uh, maybe that's a topic for us to pick up in the future, too. Like, you know, what's happening within uh, journalism and within uh, the education of journalists uh, and what's the prognosis for, for that field, uh, which really is essential for our, our civic health, but it's, uh, it's constantly uh, really being assaulted from all directions. So uh, this is just another example of that. Absolutely. A great show here. I hope you all enjoyed it. You'll want to stay tuned uh, to our feed as we have some trend shows coming up as well. You'll want to hear those, some predictions for 2019 in the not-too-distant future. Uh, for Brandon, for Mike, thanks so much for listening. Find us on Twitter, at TrendingEd. Same on Facebook and TrendingEdUcation.com. Till next time, thanks so much for listening to Trending in Education. Trending in Education.